Let's pray together. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, wash us with the water of your word. Fill us with the fire of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we need to hear your voice from heaven. So come and speak, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want you to imagine that our local newspaper, the Times Union, had an essay contest. And it was open to everybody. And they, and they said, you can submit two pages to tell us the solution to this question. What is wrong with the world? You get two pages to write what the, what's wrong with the world and what would you do to fix it. Now, I want us to imagine a lot of the answers that would come in. If they started posting some of these essays um, in their newspaper, likely people would share what's wrong with the world is that there's economic and social inequality, that there's people that have lots of opportunities, lots of resources, and there's people that don't have opportunities and don't have resources, and that's a huge problem with our world. Or people would talk about education. Nelson Mandela said, education is the most powerful tool to change the world. And that's true, isn't it? Education is incredibly powerful. If you take somebody and give them uh, job training, or you take somebody and give them uh, thinking skills, or you educate them with morality and how to make hard decisions, the world will be a better place. Or politics, right? Um, I don't know if you've heard, did you guys know we're in election season? Um, If you can't tell... Um, and there's this implied assumption that if we can get the right person and the right policies and the right position of leadership, and we can especially get the wrong person with the wrong policies and the wrong, and the wrong places of leadership, then we can move in the right direction. Things would be better. Or there's, there's some big things, and then there's also the self, right? Uh, there's self-actualization. Yoko Ono said, you change the world by being yourself. If everyone just accepted themselves for who they were and accepted others for who they were, then all the problems of the world would go away. There's all sorts of different things. And all of these things are vitally important. So what about you? What would you say? Or what are your assumptions? That maybe you wouldn't say this, you know, if you really sat down and wrote an essay, but your assumptions of, well, this is what's wrong with the world. These, you know, this is what, when, I, when I'm on social media, this is what's wrong with the world. Or when I'm, you know, talking to somebody and, you know, we're at Panera and really kicking back. And, you know, what's wrong with the world? This is what's wrong with the world. Um, we all have these things that we would say, yeah, there's plenty of things that are wrong with the world. And then what would you do to fix them? And I want you to imagine that they said, okay, if you get it right, um, we'll give you $100 million to fix it. To go after it. To go after whatever that, that thing is. And if there ever was a $100 million question, this would be it, right? What's wrong with the world and and how can we fix it? So I think it's worth us pausing for a few minutes and saying, okay, what does God say about this big question? We have all of our answers, but what does God say about this big question? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. We are in 724 in the Pew Bible. We're in Ezekiel. um, Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Ezekiel 36 verse 22 is where we're going to start. 
And this is in 724 in the Pew Bible. And I want to give you a little bit of context of what is happening in the life of Israel. So we know that God called Abraham and said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make you multiply. And I'm going to give you a land so that you will be a blessing to the nations of the world. So I'm going to bless your people so that you will be a blessing to the world. And then God called them apart. He gave them ways of living. He set, gave, gave them ways of worship. Said, this is how I want you to worship. Um, this is who I am. And, and what if you follow after me and you follow my ways, things will go well for you. Fast forward in the story. Really, the story of Israel is a story of heartache because they don't follow God. They don't follow his ways. And at this point, it's one of the darkest moments in Israel's history. If, they were, if you were to look through the Old Testament at this point, the, they would be 0 for 10. Um, they would be batting 0 for the Ten Commandments right now. It's a really dark time. And so um, there's lots of consequences that have happened. King Nebuchadnezzar has come in and sacked Jerusalem. Um, they have exiled their king as well as thousands upon thousands of their leading citizens. And then he set up a, uh, a puppet king named Zedekiah to, to kind of rule over, to be his hands and or his eyes and ears there. And so there's political turmoil, there's war, there's oppression. And not on top of all that, there's famine in the land. So they're having trouble. The crops aren't producing. There's not, um, the, the rain isn't pouring. So it's a very dark time in the history of Israel. And so if the Jerusalem Gazette, which doesn't, didn't exist, I don't think, um, but if the Jerusalem Gazette, the, the Jerusalem's newspaper, had said, what's wrong with the world? They would have a host of issues. They would have way more than we would. They would say, you know, the people who are conquering us, you know, we don't have the right king in power. You know, there's famine in the land. You know, there's all these terrible things that are happening. And then God speaks. Right in the middle of all that darkness, God speaks in Ezekiel. And I want you to notice how he addresses the problem. What's wrong with the world? What's wrong? What's going on in Israel? And what can be done to address that problem? And specifically, I want you to think about who the main actor is in this text that we're about to read. What's God's role and what's Israel's role? Who's the main actor here? In verse 24, God says to Israel, I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all of your uncleanness. And from all of your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you. Who's the main actor there? You can go ahead and answer. Who's the main actor? And what's the main problem? The heart. Their heart, right? God cuts to the core. God cuts past all of the real world problems right to the source. Right to the source of what's wrong with Israel, what's wrong with our world. 
We like to look at the symptoms. What are all the symptoms of what's wrong? Jesus goes right to the source. G.K. Chesterton um, was a leading thinker at the turn of the century in, in England. Um, and England had all sorts of problems at the time. And the London Times actually did that. They sent out to the leading thinkers, not to Joe Schmoes like us, um, but they sent out to all the leading thinkers, the philosophers, the politicians, the economists, and they said, what do you think is wrong with the world? We want to hear your answer. And they sent one to G.K. Chesterton. And G.K. And Chesterton wrote his answer, sent it to them. They opened it up, and it said this, Dear London Times, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. I am. What's wrong with the world? I am. That's a sobering reality. We don't oftentimes hear people say that on social media. We don't oftentimes live our life like that. We say, what's wrong with the world? That person's wrong with the world. This person and what they're doing. Or that person and the way they treated me. That's what's wrong with the world. God says, what's wrong with the world? I am. It's the heart. Right at the source. This idea of sin. This idea that we're always turned back on ourselves is what causes the destruction. Tim Keller puts it this way. When we choose to be our own king, when we choose to say we're the ones that's in control, we've gone the way of self-centeredness. And self-centeredness destroys relationships. There's nothing that makes you more miserable or less interesting than self-absorption. And this is oftentimes how we think. Listen to his language. How am I feeling? How am I doing? How are people treating me? Am I proving myself? Am I succeeding? Am I failing? Am I being treated justly? He goes on to say, self-absorption leaves us static. And there's nothing more disintegrating. Why do we have wars, class struggles, family breakdowns? Why are relationships constantly exploding? It's the darkness of self-centeredness. What's wrong with the world? I am. The problem is we don't go deep enough to the source. And we try to point it out in others without looking within at our own hearts. And then God doesn't just have a horrible diagnosis and say, no, you're the problem, humans, you know. Uh, Dan, you're the problem. But he also has a solution. But it's way bigger than the solutions that we throw out. It's way more powerful than the solutions, the best human fixes that we have. Because oftentimes we say it's, you know, if we could just get politics right, if we could get education, if we could have self-realization, all of these things are really good things. Don't hear me wrong here. But all of those things aren't great enough to mend the human heart, to change the human heart. Why? Because if you think about it, they're all forms of self-salvation. They're all forms of us humans trying to fix ourselves, aren't they? Think about all the solutions that we think to the world's problems. It's all about us and our ability to fix them. But God says, I'm the answer. I'm the solution to your heart. I'm the one that can fix it. 
Keller goes on, after he's laid out this pervasive problem of sin and what it does in our life, to the solution. He says, when we decide to be our own center, our own king, everything falls apart. Physically, socially, spiritually, and psychologically. But we all long to be brought back in. And this longing is embedded in the legends of many cultures. And though the stories are all different, they all have a similar theme. A true king will come back. Slay the dragon. Kiss us and wake us up from the sleep of death. Rescue us from imprisonment in the tower and lead us back to life. A true king will come back to put everything right and renew the entire world. That's what fables say. And the good news of the kingdom of God is this, that Jesus is that true king. What's wrong with the world? I am. What can fix the problem? God can. It's God. It's God that fixes our heart. And so what does he do? And I want to just look at this passage. We could spend... uh, the rest of our lives looking at all the different ways that God addresses the issue of the human heart. But our passage talks about two. Specifically, purification and then renovation. He does two things here in this passage. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be cleansed from all of your uncleanness and from all of your idols. I will cleanse you. God's saying, I'm offering you purification. I'm offering you cleansing. I'm offering you forgiveness. And the reality is, part of the reason that we like to point at other people for the problems of the world or the problems with myself, it's this person did that, this. Why? Because as hard as it is to live like that, it's even harder to look within. Because a lot of times when we start to look within, you know, when, when we have a moment of silence or when we've done something and, we've, and we, really, we realize we blew it, that it was us that brought this problem to this. We like to cover it up. Or we say, well, I've done things that can't be undone. Or does God really forgive me? Could he really forgive me? Could he really look at all that stuff in me and want that? And look at the first words. Israel has done all sorts of evil things. God sees all the things, the dark places in your heart. Look at the first words of 24. He says, I'll take you. I'll take you. When nobody else will take you, I'll take you. And I'll cleanse you. I'll wash you clean. You, even you, I will cleanse you. And I never saw a more beautiful picture of this than when I was in college. We, uh, went uh, to, I, I was part of a ministry to stro- uh, folks struggling with homelessness. And we decided to go to downtown Atlanta. Um, from Columbia to Atlanta, we drove up to see some best practices of a shelter up there. And um, we met a guy there who liked to drive buses. On Saturdays, um, he had the day off when he would drive buses. And they would drive uh, different folks to job interviews and do- drive different folks to different places to get paperwork and di- di- all these different things to help them get on their feet. And um, we were talking with the director and she said this, she, the guy wasn't there, he, he was, you know, serving, um, but he, she said, this guy is amazing. And we're like, yeah, well, tell us about him. And he's like, a couple weeks ago, we, uh, 
decided um, a, a best practice is to give some showers. And so we divided the ladies and the men um, into two different rooms, and we bought a bunch of swim trunks and towels, and we set up some shower stalls, similar to what we do for Seoul in the city. And we set up some shower stalls because what we've realized is when, if somebody can get a bath, because they don't have access to bath, right? They don't have a, a bathroom to, to go take showers every day. If we can give somebody a bath and give them a shave and clean up their, their hair, it, is a, uh, it really res- is restorative for them. And so uh, we were doing that, and there was one man that was just had a really hard month. And he was just, he didn't want to take a shower. He was, he was obstinate. He was, I'm not going to do it. Everybody else was taking showers and getting out and feeling good. He was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to get, take a shower. And the man who drove the buses came over to him and said, come on, man. Like, why don't you take a shower too? He said, I don't want to do it. And he says, what if I go in with you? What if I go in with you? And the guy said, if you go in with me, I'll go. And so they both, you know, stripped off, got their swim trunks on, and got into the shower. And that man washed this man. Washed him from head to toe. And then they went and got him a shave and a clean haircut. And they said that the disposition of this guy had totally changed. He walked out different than he walked into that shower stall. That's the promise of God. God says... Whatever's in there, I'll take it. I'll take you. I'll clean you. I'll come into that brokenness. And He did. On the cross, He was stripped for us. On the cross, He bore all the brokenness and the sin and the ugliness and the dirtiness of our sin for us so that that promise in Ezekiel could come true. By the blood of Christ, we are washed clean when we turn to Him. That's the promise of God. He says, if you give me your hard heart, if you give me your dirty heart, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a clean heart. That's the promise of the gospel. And so my first application for us today is if you realize, you know what, I've been pointing the finger a lot. Or, you know, we're going into this holiday season and I know that there's going to be some messy relationships there. And oftentimes I know there's people in my life that when they're around, I say things like, man, they really bring out the worst in me. Which, what is that another way of saying? It's their fault, you know. It's that person's fault that I'm, you know, acting this way or this angry or whatever. So as we head into the season where there's good things, but also some rough things that we're going to have to face, what do we do when we start to see some of those ugly things? And I want to point to step four of Alcoholics Anonymous, because Alcoholics Anonymous has stood the test of time for being able to help people go from addiction into freedom. And the reality is this whole sin thing, this whole blaming others, not looking at ourselves, that's an addiction. It's an addiction to ourself. And I want you to notice step four says this, make a searching and fearless moral inventory of our lives. That's my application this week. The first thing is consider taking 30 minutes. If you're just torn up inside or something's really bothering you, take 30 minutes and make a searching and fearless moral inventory of your heart. It goes on to say, accept that the problem is within yourself and drop the word blame, which is 
you, 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 from your vocabulary. You and you alone are responsible for your behaviors. Oof. Ouch. But what is that saying? What's wrong with the world? I am. So, invite Jesus to search you. Let him do a moral inventory of your heart. Because here's the good news. Is that when we let him see that stuff, when we confess that stuff to him, the gospel tells us that we are far worse than we imagined. That's what this passage tells us. That we don't need just to to be dusted off and sent back out. We need a a heart transplant. We need to be totally cleansed. It tells us that we're worse than we imagined, but we're more loved than we can imagine. And so, try that out this week. Make a moral inventory of yourself. And let Jesus come and cleanse those places. Because he says, I will take you and I will cleanse you. And then the second thing, that we see here in this passage that Jesus does, is that he doesn't just stop there with, a, okay, I've been purged of all my sins, now I'm forgiven, okay. The reality is, as we start walking into this new freedom, we like to turn everything back on ourselves again, don't we? Uh, if you've ever had a conversion moment, and you're like, okay, I'm totally free of self-centeredness, or some big issue bu- bubbled up, and then you, came, you had a came to Jesus moment, and then you're like, okay, I'm, I'm better now, right? And then... You start walking and then you start realizing it's all turning back in on yourself again. So Jesus doesn't just forgive us, but he does more than that. In verse 26, he says, I'll actually give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove the heart of stone, that fossilized, that dead place in your heart. If you've given your life to Jesus, then you do have a new heart, but there's still hard places in our hearts. He says, I will give you a new heart. That little area, I'll cut it out and put flesh back on them. And he says, and Gus will love this, I, will pour my, I pour my spirit into you to cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. He gives us his spirit to walk with us, to dwell in us, to pump life and truth into us at all times. So for you, pause. If you're struggling with something and saying, come Holy Spirit, I need you to enliven this dead place, this hard place in my heart. The second application is this. Um, We're heading into uh, election week. And unfortunately, we're at a uh, junction in our culture that these elections really do bring out the worst in us. Don't they? Not just the worst in other people, they, they generally bring out the worst in us. And what I've found is you've heard the phrase that the eyes are the mirror, or are the, uh, the window to the soul. Because through somebody, when you look into somebody's eyes, you can see kind of what's going on underneath. One of the things that I've found is the, my emotions are the mirror of my soul. One writer puts it this way, that our emotions are, are our soul's language. And so this week as you head into a stressful season with the election season, keep your finger on the pulse of your emotions. What ways are you not trusting God? What ways are you pinning your hopes on someone or some party when in reality you know the problem actually lies within your own heart and within the heart of every human being and that God, only God, can come and heal that. What would it look like for us to pray for the people on the opposite party lines? What would it look like to pray for our own hearts and see our own ugliness, the stuff that comes out, 
and say, come Holy Spirit, change that part of me. Where there is unrest, bring peace. Where there is anger, bring love. And so, keep the finger on your, on your pulse this week and turn to Jesus. Ask Him to come renovate your heart. To come bring His Holy Spirit in. And here is the good news. That it doesn't stop with the self, but that God actually wants to work on the inside and move outside. And I want you to notice this last thing as we close. This is all the way down in 33. It says, Thus says the Lord God, On that day I will cleanse you from all your iniquities. So that's the interior. And then he says, I will cause your cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt. And in verse 35 it says, And they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. So you're seeing Israel. God's painting a picture of Israel. Hey, if you own your own stuff, and you really let me be the solution, I'll take all the famine and I'll turn it back into the Garden of Eden. But it doesn't stop there. It says, and then the waste and the desolate and the ruined cities will now be fortified and inhabited. And so, God's vision isn't just personal and private, but it's also for our society. This is the promise of God. He says, if you come, let me at your heart. Then you'll be in position to bring human flourishing. You'll be in position to have strength to face injustices. You'll be in position to join Jesus in the work of renovation and restoration in the world. So God cares about all the things that we care about. But He starts with our heart. What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? I am. Who? Who can fix the problem? God can. God can. A spiritual leader said on his deathbed, when I was young, I set out to change the world. When I grew a little older, I perceived I was too ambitious, so I set out to change my city. When I realized I could not even do this, I tried to change my family. And now as an old man, I know that I should have started by changing myself. We can't even change ourselves, but Jesus can change us. And he says, if I started with myself, maybe I would have succeeded in changing my family, the city, and who knows, maybe even the world. Come Holy Spirit, change us from the inside out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have not left us alone. Lord, you haven't left us in our sin. But on the cross, you cleansed us. And at Pentecost, you filled us. So Lord, come, cleanse us afresh. And fill us with your Spirit so that we might go out as agents of reconciliation to the world. Amen.